Open our eyes, Lord, that we might see. Open our ears that we might hear. Open our mind and our heart that we might understand, so that we will turn to you and live. Amen, amen. Well, as you just heard, uh, we are beginning the season of, friends, do you remember what we're beginning? Advent, that is right. Uh, and I must say that, that today, this season is both uh, a really one of my favorite seasons, but also uh, one of the more difficult to celebrate. Um, and maybe you share in this, but the first uh, season in our liturgical calendar coincides with what everyone else in the world right now is calling the Christmas season. Uh, but these two seasons, the seasons of Advent and the seasons of Christmas, are uh, really could not be more different. Uh, in the church calendar, we actually have a season for Christmas. It's the 12 days of Christmas from where we get the song that will take place uh, beginning on Christmas Day through the new year. Uh, but again, Advent is a different season altogether. Uh, Advent is the word uh, where we get the word for coming. And in the deep tradition of the church, it's a season where uh, we celebrate not just the first coming of Jesus, the first Advent, but there's actually three Advents. Uh, the first is, of course, the coming of the incarnate Jesus, born of a Virgin Mary, suffer and crucified under Pontius Pilate. Christ, God, come in the flesh. Uh, but the second coming, the second Advent that we celebrate, is the coming of the presence of Christ in both word and sacrament. Christ is with us now in, in his word and in the sacraments, that of baptism and holy communion, but also this sacramental cruciform life of you, his disciples and his apprentices. And the third advent we celebrate in this season is his coming again in glory, the coming of Jesus in glory in order to be our judge on the last day. And that last one is usually the one that we most often forget about in this season, because after all, we'd much rather talk about stockings and Christmas than the coming apocalypse and judgment of God. Merry Christmas. And because of this, though, I think that one of the helpful ways in which to understand this season is that Advent, as I explained to our kids, anticipates Christmas, but it isn't as jolly as Christmas. A pastor and theologian Fleming Rutledge in her book on Advent states that Advent of all seasons begins in the dark. In other words, Advent begins with a sense of longing, with a willingness to name our brokenness and the brokenness around us. And this is why our scripture readings, both in the daily office as you read with us um, in our seasonal, but also in the lectionary readings, uh, come so much out of the Old Testament prophets. They even include weird, mysterious, apocalyptic sayings of Jesus like we read this morning. And I realize that even for me, uh, the, the uh, idea of judgment in the church has probably at this point begun to feel a bit stodgy at best. Maybe it begins to conjure up images for you of some person standing on a street corner with a sign proclaiming, repent for the end is nigh. It's not always near, it's always nigh for some reason. Maybe for some of us, the very word judgment makes us flinch. And while we may not like the images that judgment brings up, many of us, though, do like the idea of justice, which, spoiler alert, is actually the same word. In the words of one pastor, it refers to the end result rather than the process of bringing it about. Justice in the scriptures, and is also the same word as righteousness. It is the idea of making things right. And this righteousness is not our righteousness, it is God's righteousness. 
Judgment and righteousness are rooted not in our character, which is good news, but in God's character. Who, by the way, is the happiest, most joyful being in the universe? Our God is the happiest, most joyful being in the universe. A God who is not mean or cruel, but is willing to name what we have broken in his good world to issue divine criticism in order to reveal brokenness for the sole purpose of setting things right, of planting us in his vineyard, of restoring and redeeming and healing. We are not simply judged for judgment's sake. We are judged by a God who desires to heal and restore us more fully. Thanks be to God for that. But back to waiting. In our culture, waiting and longing have been replaced with hurry and busyness as virtues. And so in doing that, our world begins to push back on the good life. And so we begin our year with a season that calls us to wait, but not only to wait, to long and to hope. And let's be clear this morning, this hope that we are called to is not a superficial hope. Advent is filled with the recognition that we are, as the hymn states, a weary world rejoicing. Advent does not begin with a proclamation of Merry Christmas. Advent begins in the dark, in the midst of the world's pain and in the midst of our own pain. And it's in this pain that we anticipate and we hope because we recognize that all is not right And we also recognize that we have a God who in this season we celebrate, not as afar off from our pain and suffering, but as the God who in his flesh enters into it. And so we hope. But we also wait. And that's the second thing I want to be clear on is our waiting, our expecting, our longing is not passive, right? When we talk about waiting and longing in a season like Advent, uh, those words can call up past experiences almost all of us have had of sitting in the DMV. We're sitting in the DMV, we're scrolling mindlessly through our phones, waiting and hoping and praying that our number will be called next. But this is not what we mean when we say waiting. And for that, I want to turn to our readings this morning with a few invitations I think the Spirit is extending to me and to you this Advent. And so let's look now together to see what we can see. The first invitation comes from our Old Testament reading, and it is an invitation and a call to return to God in our waiting. This morning, God speaks through his prophet Jeremiah, saying, The days are surely coming when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up from David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Now it's important to know that these words are coming to the people of God, not in a moment when everyone's doing okay. In fact, it's coming to a moment of of national crisis. The people of God uh, are in a time that is filled with curses and divisions and oppression. At this moment, a united kingdom is now divided into two separate kingdoms, and a good many of the people are still in Babylonian exile. They're cut off not only from the land, from the places in which they live and worship, but they are cut off from the very places that embody the promises 
of a faithful and merciful God. And so their response, there's really two groups that begin to respond in very different ways. The one, and both are in some ways, I think we need to give them a little bit of, of grace because I think both are really understandable. But the first is, the first group just begins to curse and rebuke Babylon. The second group begins to get comfortable. They begin to worship false gods and adopt pagan culture. And to both groups, God doesn't go, all right, pagans come back and yeah, just keep yelling at Babylon. And the, he calls them both back to himself. He calls them back to their identity as his people. Even in a foreign land, what are they called to do? To live as his people in, in Babylon, seeking what? The peace and the prosperity of the very city that has them in bondage. And so these words to the people are intended to be a splash of cold water on their tired, worn-out, exiled faces. The days are surely coming. And in 2021, we know that the days have come. The one promise, this righteous branch to spring up for David is Christ. Christ has come. And it is to this branch that we now return. It is in this branch, this Christ, that we are called to abide and abide. Dwelling in, living in this Christ who has come, who is coming, and who will come again. Abiding, literally inhaling the reality of the kingdom of God. And I think in a season like this, especially through internalizing the words of God and becoming the kind of people who put those words into action. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And we can be sure that if we do nothing, it will be apart from Christ. This is why he tells us to abide and to abide in him as he abides in the Father. Abiding is the source of our love, joy, peace, hope of all our fruitfulness. And it is from that place of abiding that we wait and we long and we look. So the first invitation and call is to return to God in our waiting. But the second, the second call on us this Advent is a return to our neighbor. I think Advent is about watching and waiting for the coming of God, but also for the coming of our neighbor. Uh, in our epistle reading, we read these words from St. Paul's letter to the church in Thessalonica. And I think they're intended on this first Sunday of Advent to remind us that we wait not only for God, but also for our neighbor. What is Paul praying for in this letter? In his own words, he says this, night and day, we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. The season of Advent is not just about waiting for the coming of God, but for the arrival of our neighbor, waiting for the advent of the church. Uh, one theologian, and to be honest, if some of you know, and you probably do, please let me know. I think it was Robert Jensen, but I'm not entirely sure, says that there are two conversions for the follower of Jesus. The first is the turning to God, but the second, is, the second conversion is a turning to our neighbor, turning to the world. And this is at the heart of the easy yoke of Jesus. Proximity and community is central to what it means to not only be spiritually formed in Christ, but to follow him. Following Jesus, waiting, expecting, and hoping isn't something we do in isolation or by ourselves. The aim of God in history, the aim of God in every story of his we read, 
is the creation of an all-inclusive community of loving persons that is complex and messy and beautiful with himself included in that community as its prime sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. And so we wait and we pray and we intentionally rearrange our lives to look for the coming of our neighbor, to look for the advent of the church. And y'all, I think this is so important because my faith and your faith are interconnected and interwoven like a tapestry. The church, the body of Christ, is a living organism. And Paul here, to be clear, is not sort of coming to them, exercising his authority as an apostle, but rather he is, con- he is coming alongside them as a friend. He's concerned for them. He's concerned for their relationship with Christ, not just the head, but the whole Christ. Not just Christ that is the head, but also the body. And so he prays. Friends, one of the ways that we bear witness to the fact that Christ is with us and one of the ways we anticipate his future return in righteousness and justice is when we stand with one another. This is the second of those three advents I mentioned earlier, recognition that God is with us, yes, in word and sacrament, but that God is with us, one could say, face to face, even if it's got a mask on. And that transforms us. That face-to-faceness transforms us to be a people of the word and a people of the sacrament. Because beloved God is in our midst as we stand with one another. As we listen to the imperfect voice of the person next to you as we sing together. As we hear the words of God read, as we hear them proclaimed in our midst, as we serve in real ways, giving real handshakes or elbow bumps or hugs. But this is the tension in this moment, right? That we're not all here. That there's still so many of us that are gathered and have to gather digitally. Like, this is the tension of this season. And so we wait together. We pray anticipating the day things will be made right. And so if the first call is to return to God in our waiting and the second is to return to our neighbor, and the final invitation comes from the words of Jesus, and I hinted at it in the children's sermon this morning, which is to raise our heads. Jesus in the gospel reading today says, raise your heads and then be alert at all times. And in these words from our friend and brother and Messiah Christ, there is an invitation to say whatever difficulty or trouble comes our way, we will look for him. It's a reminder that the coming of God is not afar off, that the coming of God is now, that the coming of God is here. And the prayer here is that we would have strength to stand in the presence of God with us. That's what Jesus says. Pray that you will have strength to stand. Not because we need to be afraid. Oh, you better be shaking in your boots when God comes knocking down. Like some weird version of the Santa song. You better watch out. You better not. Like that's not what Christ is talking about here. Not out of fear, but out of recognition that this world can feel and be like a slaughterhouse. Strength, not because God is put off with us, but because God is our fullness. 
And if we are going to have eyes to see that God is here now in both remarkable and unremarkable ways, then we are going to need help. Help both from our community, but also help from God himself. In John 14 and 15, uh, Jesus calls the coming of the Holy Spirit. He refers to the Holy Spirit as the comforter. I've said this before, but it bears repeating, repeating one ways of understanding the word comforter, I'm sure is like a, like a consoling arm around your shoulder, but there's actually another meaning. It's, it's where in the Latin we get the word fortis, which literally means to fortify. It tells us that one of the things the Holy Spirit wants and likes to do is to make us sturdy people. The image that I always think of is that of Psalm 1, the tree with deep and well-watered roots. A tree that is still hit by the battering storm. A tree that at time will lose leaf and limb, but it is never uprooted. That is the sturdiness that comes from the hidden places. If judgment is about revealing, then this season of Advent is a season to wait with the Spirit. To notice and to nurture what is being revealed. To intentionally make room for the Spirit in our lives, y'all. Even if it's as simple as the prayer in the morning, come Holy Spirit. And then to carry that prayer with us through the remainder of the day as our way of consenting to what God wants to do in our lives. To close, commenting on our epistle reading, St. Chrysostom wrote, quote, Paul's prayer demonstrate a fervent soul unable to restrain his love. It is though Paul said, may God himself shorten the trials that constantly distract us so that we may come directly to you. Do you see the unrestrained madness of love that is shown by this prayer, unquote? This is my prayer for us as a church. That this advent, may the Holy Spirit come. May the Holy Spirit come and grant to us in the midst of trials and difficulties to be the kind of people whose souls are fervent, unable to restrain our love. May God shorten the trials that distract us so that we may become the kind of people who run and wait and watch and hope and turn toward God and neighbor. Holy Spirit, come. Make us sturdy people in our waiting, in our longing, and in our watching. Beloved, Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ will come again and again and again and again and again. Thanks be to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.